0: How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm excited to have you join us today. Our guest is Robert Gonzalez. Robert is the chief operating officer and co-founder of MyBooks Pro, which offers profitability and bookkeeping service for real estate agents, sales professionals, and investors. In today's show, we're going to dive into and discuss how do sales professionals keep more of the money they make? How do entrepreneurs keep more of the money they make? Now, this is the Catapulting Commission's podcast. Robert indeed has a sales background. Robert started in 2005 working for Vector Marketing, which distributes and sells Cutco cutlery. He spent nine years selling selling Cutco and building a sales team to sell Cutco. He was the number one branch manager in 2009 and is responsible for over $4 million in Cutco sales. He took his experience with Cutco, went and transitioned to a startup company known as TrueMaker. While at TrueMaker, he was the national sales trainer responsible for training the entire sales force. During his time, Robert took the company from $1 million in annual revenue to $10 million in sales from the team that he helped train and develop. He left the startup and went out on his own and founded MyBooks.Pro. MyBooks.Pro. If you're in a sales industry that you are a 1099 individual, you're a highly compensated sales professional, or you're an entrepreneur, you're not going to want to miss what Robert has to say today. The premise for this show is how do we keep the money we make in our bank accounts? How do we become more profitable in our sales industry. Robert, welcome to the show. Anthony, it is. Uh, it's really exciting to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us today. So, I got to jump in. Let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Let my audience know where you come from, what you do. And then we're really going to dive in today on this my books from a bookkeeping, a profitability, everything you're doing right now, because I really believe someone listening to this right now is going to benefit from hearing the message we have today. But before we get there, tell us a little about your sales background. Where'd you start? Where'd you come from?
1: Yeah. So my sales background is, uh, I don't think it was ever on purpose. I don't know too many sales professionals that started it at age 18 on purpose, but I was looking for a, a job because I needed to pay for college. I was going to UC Davis at the time and I knew that jobs were posted online. I think I found the job ad online and it didn't look like a sales position. It was like, you know, $15 per appointment. And I stumbled into the office it said dress professional and I I wore a shirt and a tie and it ended up being selling kitchen cutlery and I was I was hooked I guess I guess that's the easiest way to describe it is I went through the training seminar and um you know I I called more people than most people in my training class I guess I didn't have that much of a fear just reaching out to people that I knew and a sales career was born there
0: Nice so You get recruited, you go into a Cutco office. And for my audience that doesn't know, Cutco Cutlery, where Robert started, it's actually near and dear to my heart. It's how I started my sales career. Uh, Recruits college kids come in, explains them all the the benefits of kitchen cutlery and shows them that opportunity. Now, what's really unique here is not everyone can sell Cutco. I mean, everyone, everyone has the opportunity, but not everyone can be effective at selling Cutco. And you not only sold Cutco, uh, you went on to become extremely successful and developed and built a team through the branch management and district management program. Can you tell us yep. a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're right that not everybody can sell Cutco. I think a lot of people are given the opportunity, and it, it's never about the product with Cutco. I think you and I both can agree that you know selling a high quality product that's used every day is a pretty easily easy sale. Um, But it was all the back end, right? It was keeping track of leads. It was keeping a schedule. It was being uh, okay calling people and uh, going through a lot of phone calls, right? Back when we just had to make hundreds of phone calls to to get appointments. That's what it was. And I felt like the opportunity of sales rep was something that I wanted to pass on to other people. And I think that's how anyone gets started into sales management is they enjoy the sales process. And they want to be able to teach the skills they've learned. Uh, on a widespread scale to sales rep, so that's how I got into management, and I went through being an assistant manager and working with a really small team within an office and running a branch office. And my my branch experience, and for those of you listening, a branch experience is um, only a four month office. So a district manager role, which you alluded to, um, is a full year round career type role, and the branch manager position is just four months. So it was a four month office where you get to basically open up during college. And then close down at the end of the summer and you go back to school. So that was my first taste of management. And I said, you know, if I'm going to start a career, this is going to be something that I want to do full time. And that's how district manager evolved. And, uh, you know, I, I ran a district office for almost five years.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you put in a career through through Vector from beginning to end. It looks a little short of nine years. Right. So you spend some time selling that mm-hmm. branch management program is is a phenomenal Opportunity for kids in college to learn what it takes to run an own business, and I imagine that that was really your first experience with entrepreneurship and managing books and managing finances. Did you learn any, or not even did you? Let's rephrase that. What lessons did you learn early in your management career that are still being utilized today, or that have given you lifelong uh, practices that you implement today? This, this is I love that question
1: um, because. When you first go into sales management, it's all about the excitement about the product and the opportunity. And you know, in sales, as a, as a sales rep, we learn, you know, a sales made when uh, enthusiasm is transferred from one person to another. And sales management was the same thing. It was transferring enthusiasm that I had about the program and the product to new sales reps so that they could transfer it to the clients. What you don't know when you go into running your own business is everything else that comes with it. You're, you are always excited about the skill that you're really good at. I I use the example of, you know, someone who's a plumber, they know how to work on pipes. They know how to do everything under the sun. And they're always excited about it because that's what makes them tick. It's really an awesome opportunity. And same for me, it was a great opportunity because I was excited. And then you just kind of stumble upon learning Hey, I have to know how much money comes in. I need to know how much money goes out. Uh, I need to file taxes. I need to pay quarterly taxes. I might need to create a payroll system and pay employment taxes. There's all these different things. I I had to manage an inventory because we give out product to the reps, so I had to manage an inventory. Uh, I had to pay an office lease. Like that, those were all things that you know, you, you kind of know that they're going to come, but you don't really understand how they all work until you go out and do it and pay all these expenses. You're still on the front lines, running your business through all that stuff. That's exciting. And then when you get home at night, you realize, oh man, I got to do all this other stuff too.
0: Yeah. I mean, now that thing, that, that area you talk about, I still have all this stuff to do. I call these, these outside influence, these things that distract entrepreneurs from driving what they should be driving, and that is producing revenue or developing a team. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You had all this experience with everything you just listed out while you were still in college?
1: Yeah. By my senior year of college, I had run two branch offices.
0: Yep. And then, and you're being humble and modest here, but in the branch offices you ran, you did create the Silver Cup branch office. Is that correct? Yeah, we were the number one office in the company in 2009. So in 2009, you're in, uh, was this before you graduated or right when you graduated? Were you uh, in between? Before Before you graduated college, you build the number one team. How big of a team did you build at that time?
1: We recruited 216 reps in four months and uh, $400,000 in sales. So you recruit 216 reps, four
0: months. You build a team. In college, and after you have the number one rep, you close up shop, you go back to school, and you're like any other college kid, except you have this experience of being an entrepreneur. And not only being an entrepreneur, but being a sales entrepreneur, which is in its own a completely different animal because you have to drive revenue. You have to have people follow you, believe into you. Did you take anybody that you developed or you hired in your branch, come with you and develop as you extended your career? Post college to being a district manager with Cutco?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the most exciting thing. And the ultimate, you know, like validation that you're doing a good job is when you develop these sales leaders into doing the same things that you did. So, over the course of being a district manager, I want to say we promoted eight branch managers and a couple of district managers. And there's, you know, one district manager that's still with the company today, which is even more exciting. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a cool thing to see. Yeah, so you you create some development, and
0: people follow you and believe in your program and believe in you. What led to people believing into you, Robert? Believing was it the program that was so strong, or was it you that was so strong, or a combination of both? But why would somebody had follow you and, and decided, hey, I'm going to go through this program and be a branch manager, a district manager, following your steps and learn all the skills you learn. Cause most kids at this age, right. Want to play video games, hang out with friends, go out and do social things. They're not really thinking, Hey, I want to become an entrepreneur. Why do people follow
1: you? Man, I, I, I think you're, you're leading me to a humble brag here, but I, I don't know if I want to uh, take all the credit for it. I'll, I'll definitely tell you that transparency as a sales leader was really important. You know, we, I ran a business where you're right. We recruited a lot of 18 year olds, 19 year old kids. And up front, I would tell them like, Hey, if you're here for the summer job, great. I want to make it a great summer experience for you. And I want you to get out of it, what you want to get out of it. And if you, if that ends up changing, which for some of you, it will, and you decide, Hey, I want to get into management as well. I'm going to help you along that path, but I'm never going to push you into something that you're not really excited about. This is this is all about what you want to get out of the position. So I think what the easy answer is, is I promoted the vehicle. So the, the vehicle that can take you where you want it to take you, whether that's, hey, I want to make a few bucks this summer and get some good job experience, or whether that's, hey, I want to be able to run my own office someday.
0: I, I think what you're saying there, Robert, is, is incredibly profound. And we really need to reiterate that. You're telling these college kids that your time with me while you're selling Coco is going to be a vehicle to get what you want, whatever direction you want to go. And that transparent approach is phenomenal because the reason I say that is once these kids, right, go out into the corporate workforce and corporate working world and professional sales, the, there is hunters, true headhunters that are fighting for the top talent out there And what you just said is is so funny because it's what I tell my team right now. And my 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 sales team that works for me right now, um, high six figure sales professionals. And I say, hey, the time we have together, this is a vehicle for you to get what you want out. And um, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, it's it's funny to hear you say that when we were dealing, you know, when you were dealing with younger professionals. I'm saying the same thing when we're dealing with senior professionals the transparent approach that you just mentioned is something that not every sales leader or every leader exhibits, specifically when it comes to building a team. You took that leadership that you developed. You went to a startup company and true maker clothing. Now, when you were you on the original startup team or were you early in the phases there?
1: I think I counted it one time, and I think I was like the sixth employee or seventh employee in the first 10. So they had they had like a year under their belt, and they had finished their first year over a million bucks, and then I got recruited.
0: Okay. So you come into this. It's still a startup by, by corporate standards, right? So a company does a million dollars. Right. You're in the first 10 employees. You go, and now you grow this company from one million. To ten million, or you're 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 instrumental in growing that. How did that transparent approach go with you? How did that leadership approach go with you? And how did that sales approach? What skills did you take and talk to us? uh, Talk to us about your time at TrueMaker and how you took it from one million to ten million.
1: First off, if anyone has never worked for a startup, they should because that experience you learn you basically learn ten years worth of skills in one to two years, because a startup is changing every day, especially when we're talking about one in the San Francisco Bay Area, where the angel investors that invested in our company probably invested in hundreds, if not thousands of other companies. And the goal is to pay back the investors and make it big. And so when that's like the mission, we are constantly changing and pivoting and I mean when we started in true when I started in Truemaker, I knew nothing about men's clothing. That wasn't why I was there. I was to help grow the company I was I was there to help basically build it out in more markets than San Francisco. So um, first off, when I first got recruited it was, hey, we want you to build out Northern California. I live in Sacramento, it's two hours from San Francisco, and I was supposed to build out the Sacramento market. Well, I ran one training class. So I, I launched like, I think it was like 10 sales reps in Sacramento. They all killed it. And as soon as that happened, the CEO calls me and says, hey, we need you to run San Francisco now.
0: <laughs> this really? was no
1: joke within, within like a month of me starting that they said, hey, you, you did a great job in one month. Come run the biggest market in our or the only market in, in the company. And we need you to grow it so that we can duplicate it across the country. And that's what I did. And I I commuted to San Francisco for like a year and a half, four to five days a week from Sacramento. I would get up at four in the morning and drive down to San Francisco to miss as much traffic as I could. And I'd drive back at the end of the day. It was unbelievable. And like I said, if you've never worked for a startup, it's one of those things where you get a few gray hairs, but you're going to learn a ton of stuff in the process. So we we built out San Francisco and the company grew at the same time. So as we were growing the sales force, um, basically our back end and the, uh, the corporate office was how do we support this sales growth? And it was creating new products. It was creating new programs. So I was writing programs on the fly. That's really hard to do, too. So I was writing sales programs, writing sales materials, sales scripts, everything under the sun as the company was changing You know what products were offered and what target clients that we had. Um, it, was, it was a fun journey. And I definitely learned a lot about how startups run and um, how they spend a lot of money and how they can save a lot of money because um, it's just a whirlwind. And so you have to make all these decisions so quick um, from the back end and also from the front lines in the sales field. That is that is incredible. So you build Sacramento, you do San
0: Francisco, you help this team grow uh, that startup mentality. You know, I, I would say that startup mentality, the entrepreneurship mentality of learning to pivot, carrying multiple hats. Everybody needs to deal with it at one point or time or the other. Just you dealt with it at a much more massive scale. This wasn't a, you know, a small startup in a retail for 50 grand and hey, I'm going to make this work. I mean, you're you're building a million dollar business here and, and you're involved in the early stages. So as you were creating this curriculum, you talked about writing sales programs or sales on the um, sales programs or sales curriculum or different um, marketing methods on the fly. Was there a certain methodology you would follow? Was there a certain book you would follow? Was there a certain program you would follow? Or was this, hey, I'm going to, you know, work it, fake it till I make it, try it till someone buys it. What was, what was your
1: approach there? I mean, a lot of it was from sales experience that I'd had in the past, um, also watching and being there with my sales reps and noticing what clients' reactions were and how to how we br- how we built value in the product and then how to ask for a sale. Um, it was definitely not one of those. I've never been involved, and I've never really um, been attracted to a high pressure sales type of environment. It was more like um we were training. The, uh, the experts or the professional consultants in this area, and we would give advice and then ask how people felt about that advice. And so that was the sales strategy that it turned into was I'm gonna provide all of this um, expertise in the field that I'm an expert at, and then you, the client, are gonna decide if what I say is something that matches what your values are for this particular product. So I, ho- hopefully that answers your question a little bit. I don't know if there was a certain influence, or um, maybe it was just you know years of of noticing how clients interact and how they don't want to ever be forced with a yes or no question. I, I know that that was a big thing. We rarely asked yes or no questions because we never. I never saw the benefit of that. I always like to ask, how does a client feel? And then you can get the true concern out or the true objection, and then you can handle that objection because they're going to be a little more honest with you rather than asking, hey, do you want to buy this? They say no, and you ask why. It's a little different saying, hey, what do you think about this? How do you feel about what I just told you? So that was a little bit of the approach that we took when building out sales programs was making sure the client felt comfortable. There was a trust factor built. And then when it came to close, it was more like a conversation rather than, um, you know, kind of like an interrogation. So how did how did people get clients at TrueMaker? Now, two questions. Fun fact. Is TrueMaker still functioning today? Uh, they got purchased or they got acquired in late 2018. And so they're still around um, uh-huh. they're functioning in the same capacity. I, I don't know if they're functioning in the exact same capacity. OK, but I know that I know that our our outfitters and some people that i ended up training they still work there and they still meet with clients um so what it was is that, largely sorry go ahead no no so what does that sales process look
0: like then so um you know an outfitter and i i i own some true maker clothing i think it's phenomenal it was, it was my very first uh, exposure to custom fitted clothing which was you know it was like it the death wheel, right? I started custom fitting clothing and now I've never stopped because it just, once you go there, you can't go back. But yeah, it's tough. How, how do what does that sales process look like? Right. So let's, let's assume majority of the audience hasn't heard of True Maker, doesn't know that sales process. How does that process go from finding a, a prospect to getting a, a, a revenue at the end?
1: Yeah. So the prospects were, um, at least when I started, they were largely word of mouth or largely referral. And the company started doing online advertising and running Facebook ads and Instagram ads. And so that would come into our only our top outfitters or sales reps. So it was probably still about 80-20 where 80% were generated by the uh, the outfitter or the sales rep where they would ask for referrals at a current fitting. Um, or they would try to get into offices. That was a big thing that we had created was the office program where, you know, they would meet with one guy and the the, the typical audience was a guy. They made men's clothing. So um, <laughs> I do actually mean the word guy there. Um, so they would meet with a guy and if they found out that he worked at an office, you know, they'd offer him some kind of a, a deal in order to get into the office and do a showing in the office where they'd bring in actual clothing and they, and they'd basically take measurements because it's custom clothing. Like you said, they take measurements of guys in the office and uh, we had outfitters that were writing up 15 to 20 orders in, in one day from going into an office or hosting a happy hour. We were trying to create events where instead of they were picking off one person at a time, it was a little bit more of a group dynamic and, um, People were there picking out shirts or picking out fabrics and uh, they'd get measured. And to answer your question of how it finished, they'd write up the order. And then it was about three weeks until they got the custom shirt and they'd go try it on with their outfitter and the outfitter would make sure there's not any like last minute adjustments. And the genius behind TrueMaker is once that process was done, then a guy could go online to his own portal. And he could buy a suit jacket, he could buy pants, he could buy a shirt, um, and all his measurements were already stored. So they would already come custom fitted to his door instead of him having to go through the tailoring process over and over again. Interesting. That
0: I love what you just explained there. It's almost like you created, you know. From what traditionally is like a retail method of, hey, I'm going to buy clothes or I'm going to pick, I'm going to go to a a tailor and get fitted to, hey, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to eliminate that awkward retail space. And I like the happy hour concept. I like the group dynamic. I mean, you know, I think if you create something where it's fun, I mean, and everybody likes to spend a little bit of money after a cocktail or two. So that That's is true. Uh, yeah.
1: True. <laughs> and I don't want to take all the credit for creating the. The idea behind the brand—that was definitely the CEO. I joined in because I thought that just like you, I thought that the idea was great. I don't have to go to a store. Guys don't like going to a store. They'd rather have it be convenient. If they're drinking a, you know, a Manhattan or an Old Fashioned while they're getting fitted, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. And that's, you know, we—I just helped take the idea and run with it, and help train, uh, train all these outfitters, as we called them, to to do what they do best.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Outfitters is code for sales representatives. They get you fitted. They were the the person that was transferring that enthusiasm that you mentioned earlier, right? Sales is a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to the next, and that outfitter did that. Now, Robert, let's let's pivot here. Let's talk about what you have, what is yours, and what you've created. Tell us a little bit about MyBooks Pro, what it is you do, and who you serve, and we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah, so when I left TrueMaker, I felt like I had something that I needed to provide to uh, a big population of people, which is entrepreneurs. And sadly, the entrepreneur number, new entrepreneurs is down from what it was, I, you probably know this, 20, 30 years ago, we're losing entrepreneurs. And so uh, my, my thing was, is how do I best serve an entrepreneur? Because most entrepreneurs are scared to get into business because they know they're not going to make money. At least not make money right away, so it's a big fear, um, and so that was part of the thing that just spurred into action. What was you know profitability consulting at its core, and I the the title of profitability consultant sounds really fun and fancy, but at the surface, it's just a two part two part job, and it's looking at people's expenses and income, and really telling them where they're spending money in wrong places and where they can be generating more revenue. So. I teamed up with a guy named Adam Stock. And Adam, at least in my mind, is famous for a lot of things, um, most of them related to money and, uh, and his big heart. He's got a big heart if you know Adam personally. Mm-hmm. But a quote that has always stuck with me from Adam is, uh, and prob- there's other forms of this that other people have said, but just the way he said it to me was, there's only two ways to create more uh, profit. One is to sell more, and two is to spend less. And that conversation, if you have it with Adam, he'll always tell you, and I will tell you the same thing, that selling more is always more fun. It's always a more exciting strategy to dive into, is selling more. Now, unfortunately, that's not the business that I'm in. I'm in the spend less category, but my mission is is that I want to help you on the spend less category rather than you trying to figure it out at 12 o'clock at night by trying to dissect what the heck you're looking at when it comes to your finances and your income and your revenue streams. So we're on the spend less side and we're on the spend less side so that you, whoever you are and whatever you do can focus on what's exciting to you, which is generating more revenue. It's so funny to hear you break it down that way. There's the sell more
0: side. Or the spend less, right? I have interviewed some of the best sales coaches uh, in the world on, on the catapulting commissions podcast or in different methods. Um, and I know when I coach people myself, I'm always on that. Let me teach you how to sell more. Cause that's, you're right. It's fun. It's exciting. It's, it's glamorous. You're like, Hey, I mean, even, even this morning I got a text uh, from a potential client saying, Hey, I, I have this revenue metric to hit. It's kind of large. Can you walk me through it? And I, those are fun messages to get. I never get the, hey, I'm going to try to cut down my payroll or, hey, I'm going to try to cut <laughs> down my expenses. Those, those don't come to a sales coach. But those are equally important, if not just as important. And I, and I like that spend less method. Let's, let me piggyback you. I don't want to pigeonhole you, but earlier you said that people don't like entrepreneurship because they don't make money right away. What mistakes do entrepreneurs, and when, I, and, and when we're talking entrepreneurs, we're going we're gonna to kind of tailor this towards sales entrepreneurs, real estate agents, insurance agents, 1099 sales professionals, reps that are commission only, uh, sales professionals that have a low salary, high commission. What mistakes are people making in their first year, first
1: two years that is having a direct impact on their income? So this is probably two pronged. One has nothing to do with business. And that is that people spend outside their means. That's a big one. Um, And I think you and I have talked about this offline before, where we have countless numbers of examples of someone that says, hey, I'm not making enough money. And really, it's not that they're not making enough. It's that they're spending way too much. And I, I, again, I have countless examples, and I'm not going to call anybody out. But you know, like when, especially with real estate agents, you get really fat commission checks. You know, especially in California or in New York or these bigger, you know, property value states, they sell a two million dollar house. They're getting a commission that's got five figures, easy, easy. The biggest mistake they make there is they see that and go, I can afford a lot of stuff. If this is how it's going to be. I can afford to buy a $80,000 Range Rover today. And I can afford to upgrade my house. When the base of that really is, if you're a brand new entrepreneur or business owner, we tell people all the time, live like a broke college kid. Because at one point in time in your life, whether that was a year ago or 15 years ago, you did, you you lived off a thousand bucks a month. You lived off $500 a month. But choices along the way, you chose to spend more because you were making more. Well, what if you just chose to live small while you figure out how much money you're really making and then we can decide how much you should be spending? So that's definitely one side of It's the personal side of people are just spending way outside their means. And it's really easy in the sales arena. I can tell you from personal, and again, I, I am not like the messiah of being great at spending money. When I was a brand new manager and vector and I had a a number one office. I made a hundred grand in a summer. My 1099 for four months was a hundred thousand bucks. You give a 21 year old, a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars. There is no 21 year old out there that goes, you know, well, I should save 30% for taxes and I should probably put 10 grand in the bank. Like, I think I had like five grand to show for that hundred grand at the end of the summer, because I would get these $5,000 a week commission checks and go, man, I can afford to buy a new suit at Nordstrom today. Whereas I had never spent that much on a whole month's worth of expenses two years ago. So a lot of it is a choice that we make of, I'm going to be disciplined in how much I spend on me. So that's a big one. On the business side of things, I think we discredit how much we have in expenses. And a a big thing that bothers me, and it never used to bother me, which is... um, I would have sales managers tell me, hey, that $200 a month expense that you have, just think about it like this. Your office just needs to sell $1,000 more in order to cover that expense. Now, at the time, it made so much sense to me because it was like, oh yeah, so that $200 expense, it probably generates $3,000 in revenue and it only has to generate 1,000 in order for me to cover that basis. But what I didn't realize is that Those $200 expenses, they add up, especially when all of them are being thrown at you. The most important thing to understand is that entrepreneurs are the most sold to audience for a lot of business services. There there always are going to be business services that are sold to entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs look at it like that. They look at it, I can just increase my income in order to cover that expense. But sometimes when you're starting up, it's about being lean and sticking to what you know and sticking to the things that you know you're really talented at and then figuring out from there, what can I add in here to increase revenue without spending a ton? So I think people spend too much right out of the gate just relying on their skills and abilities to generate more revenue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That entrepreneurs being sold to is 100% um a market that I don't think is ever going to go away. And we're always going to have entrepreneurs. And, you know, right now, you know, we're dealing with this um, COVID uh, epidemic, which, you know, you're going to have some entrepreneurs that are going to crash and burn during this time. You're going to have others that are kind of standing on the sidelines, waiting to jump in the game. And you have others that are going to learn to flourish through this whole scenario. But people selling to entrepreneurs, that that is a, that is a market in – Never been truer. And I share this with you, Robert. Uh, The moment I put Anthony Garcia Inc. up on my LinkedIn profile. Now, I've been doing Anthony Garcia Inc. for some time, but I was like, you know, I'm going to finally market myself. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to put the book out. I've had a sales rep email me or call me almost on a daily basis to sell me some widget, some service, some platform, and everything looks Like, hey, I need this, you know. I I want to buy, you know, I want to buy someone to manage my social media. Um, I I want to buy someone that's going to help write my copyright for my website. And if they do it well, maybe they're 10 grand now, but man, they can they can bring me in 250 grand in revenue, right? So how do how does somebody like me, right? And and we'll use myself because I can defend my 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 point of view here if we need to, but how do I prioritize (laughs) what I spend my money on as an entrepreneur?
1: This is a great question, and now more than ever with COVID, I think a lot of businesses are looking at expenses. You know, I get off the phone with clients I have in the last couple weeks since the whole COVID thing started, and they've said, hey, this has allowed me some extra time because I don't have to take a flight to XYZ and the conference is now virtual and it's half the time. So what do I do with that extra time? I've been looking at my expenses. And really, they ask themselves a very easy question is, is this necessary for me to create the revenue I'm creating right now? That's number one. And if they don't have the answer, they can go to another question, which is how much revenue is this actually producing for me and my business? So they start with, is this essential? And if they can answer, yes, it's essential, or no, it's essential, then they have a pretty cut and dry. If they have a maybe, it's, well, how much revenue is this producing, right? And if they can't find a direct link, then they should ask another person. They should ask someone that they look up to. It could be someone like myself, or it could be someone like a business coach or a success coach and say, hey, I was looking at my expenses and I noticed that I'm spending X amount on this, right? And this can be something as simple as like 30 bucks a month, right, 30 bucks a month, especially as an entrepreneur, like, oh man, that's a slam dunk, no doubt, I need it. That's 360 bucks in a year. Are you getting $360 of value out of that? I have no idea. Uh, a perfect example. I had a client clean up their Gmail admin account. Okay, we all use Gmail. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of us use Gmail, right? Especially when we start these new businesses. Like I'm looking at your email. It says Anthony at anthonygarcia.com. I'm guessing it's Google hosted.
0: Is it Google uh, hosted? No, no. This one is not. This is all through GoDaddy. Um, I do have okay. some Google. I do have some Google hosted emails though, but this one is through GoDaddy.
1: Okay. So perfect example. So I had a client, they had 24 emails on their Gmail. And I think you pay like four or five bucks a month for each Gmail account. Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. They were using six of those 24. Okay. Oh my goodness. So that's $90 a month that, and you can, you can log on to your Google admin page. And it tells you the last time this account was logged into, right? So $90 a month they were paying, that's over a $1,000 a year for these Gmail accounts that just sat there. That's a perfect example of something that we can look at and go, am I really using this? Do I really need this? And at one point in time, they thought of like, oh, this is a good idea. If anyone ever has an order, they can just send it to orders at xyz.com instead of my normal info page. So they were paying an extra 5 bucks a month to have that. That's a perfect example. The, the other easy example that we always talk about is overdraft fees. We, man, it's so sad to see clients bring in two hundred grand in revenue a year and have two thousand bucks in, in overdraft fees. It's it's a real thing. I still am unsure why it happens in the first place, and maybe it's just because it's thirty bucks here and there, but it happens, and then it turns into two thousand bucks in one year, and people are freaked out about it.
0: You know, when you say that that overdraft fees, I go back to being a young entrepreneur and I, I, I'm i sure um, I can I'm positive. Let me say I'm sure I'm 100 percent positive. I was that young entrepreneur that lived off overdraft fees because overdraft fees were like, hey, I can overdraw my account a little bit. I don't have a line of credit that's available to offset me because I was the entrepreneur that spent a lot more money. And, and I'm very transparent. If you listen to any of my previous episodes, my first sales business, my first uh, crack at entrepreneurship crashed and burned, not because of my skill, but because of my ability or inability to manage finances was really, really, really hit me hard. So uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs spend waste money on. That email one you mentioned is is phenomenal because I, I do have, a, as you're saying that, I have a Gmail account that I do pay five bucks a month That's 60 bucks a year. And I'm like, I I can't remember the last time that I used that email or that domain. It's just, you know, five bucks a month. And I'm like, I I don't even know if I ever see the email, but I do know that it draws five bucks out of my account. That's interesting. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. What is your recommendation to your clients on another challenging topic that comes up? Or not a challenging topic, but I guess a, a situation people run across. And let, let's, let's think of real scenario here. I have a subscription that uh, for a legal service, because I needed some business forms created seven eight months ago. Now, had I went to my attorney and said, "Hey, I want you to draft and create this form," and it, and it essentially it was just the NDA. So I want you to draft and create this NDA, tied it into me. I'm pretty sure I could have got it done under a thousand bucks, less than a couple hundred bucks. Uh, probably could have negotiated pretty hard. Got it done. I was like, oh, I'm not going to pay that in a flat lump fund. I'm going to pay this legal company $79 a month because they offer all these other things and include this NDA that I want it created. This morning, I look, I paid way more than I would have had I purchased a one-time fee. So what's your recommendation to clients versus getting some of these subscription models or just purchasing something upfront outright and owning it? Ooh, this is a tough
1: question because uh, I think it depends on the product. So for you in that scenario, I, I would have gotten the two forms and ran, right? And just throw in my in my Google calendar some reminder to cancel whatever the heck it was called, pay 80 bucks for two forms, and I'd hit and run and get those two things and go, right? And yeah. this is funny. I, I have the same scenario with eFax. At one time, there's like one person in the in the world a year that needs a fax from me, right? Like, no, you can't get an email. No, you have to fax it. And I think the IRS is like that too. Like you can't email them legal documents. They're like, no, 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 you have to fax it. So the one time you need to send a fax, no one has a fax machine anymore. Correct. So you, there's an app, you can download it on your phone and you can send a fax. And it's like, again, it's like $15 a month. I signed up one time to send one fax. And I realized Like six months in, I'm like, I'm getting charged 15 bucks a month for this thing. I literally need to send one fax a year. And it's that same thing where I should have just hit and run. I should have, I should have spent the 15 bucks up front. Of course I had to send the fax, right? And then I should have just canceled. And so now anytime I have something like that, where it's like a one-time service, but they want you to sign up, I always will put in my calendar like 15 days or 30 days later to cancel it. Like when the cancel window is open. So that's an example for you and that. and the other subscription services, um I think you just have to place a value on how much you use them. And there's a lot of things that are subscription services. If you have a professional coach, that's the same thing too, right? you, you usually pay a professional coach monthly um, right? It, it, it's it's the same philosophy as Netflix. If you're watching Netflix every day, then the twelve bucks a month you spend on it is pretty worth it, right? Um, You know, if you come away from a call with your your business coach thinking, I don't know what I got out of that, you're probably not spending a good or you're not being wise on spending that money. And again, that's one of those things that's hard to put a a number on. Right. You can't categorically say, oh, I am getting value from X, Y, Z service. That's like a judgment call where you have to figure it out for yourself. Am I using Netflix? Am I getting value from my professional coach? If, you, if you're questioning yourself, the answer is usually no, right? The answer is usually no if, if you're getting value.
0: I think that's really good, right? I, we have this intuition on, are we getting what we're looking for? And, I, and you mentioned those coaching sessions, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of, uh, on both ends. When I coach a client, you know, I want to make sure that that value is crystal clear at the end. But for my executive coach, who I pay a huge premium for, I never show up to my calls unexpected. Or without a checklist of here's what I need mm. to get done while I have you on this call, because I'm paying you a premium for your feedback and advice. And if I'm not prepared for you, then it's really, you know, I gotta take ownership of I'm wasting this this fee that I'm hitting on. So that's a great point.
1: Yeah. Just I mean, being I just, prepared. Like if you're spending money, if you have skin in the game, right? Like you better not be driving during that call.
0: Yeah. No, there's no value in driving during a coaching call. And that skin in the game you mentioned is, is probably no, not even probably. It is the reason when people ask me to coach, um, you know, some people, you know, hey, I have a certain set fee. and I'm, No, I don't discount it. Why? Because I'm, I'm my time is valuable. Your time is valuable. I'm not going to discount my time for you not to take my time serious. But if you're going to pay me, let's just say a thousand bucks a month or two thousand bucks a month, you, you're going to show to our calls prepared because the value that you're going to get is significantly higher. But let's 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 pivot one last thing here. I want to dive into something here on my books and some businesses. And I will give you a disclaimer here. You know, the recommendations of what I'm going to ask Robert on are not to be taken as legal financial advice. He is not your accountant. He is not your bookkeeper. He is not your attorney. So anything we discuss here, you should definitely check with uh, your own accountant, your own um, attorney. And if you need help with somebody managing your books, we'll be sure to get Robert's information at the end of this interview today. Robert, there are 1099 professionals, sales professionals who make over six figures in commission every year and sit in this world of, hey, I just have a 1099. I'm a sole prop. Is there a benefit or how do you recommend your clients that are highly compensated 1099 people or highly compensated business owners? How do you recommend they set up their business
1: entity? First of all, they should do it. (laughs) <laughs> this, if, if you are if you're a 1099 and listening and uh you make uh, we'll just say if you make over a hundred grand, if your 1099 says over a hundred grand, there is a good chance that you should be uh incorporated. Now it, being incorporated, uh the most common is an S Corp or an LLC. Those are the two most common. They're basically the same now. The IRS lets single-member LLCs file as an S-corp now for their taxes. So we're just going to consider those the same thing. When you go to set it up, you can ask your tax professional or a a tax lawyer, whoever sets it up for you, what you should do. But essentially, for the purposes of what we'll talk about, they're essentially the same, but getting an S-corp or an LLC. Um, my, my big recommendation is to do it in a fiscal year. So January 1st and most, most services that, um, will set this up for you. They'll like need all the information in December and then January one, they'll officially start your, your LLC. Now I say that, and I've never started an LLC or S corp for January one. It's always been like Q2 because I forget, you know, I do forget things too. Right. Um, it's so like April 1st is when um a couple of the different LLCs that I have, they were formed. But the big benefit is well, there's two big benefits if we're gonna go in that go down that road. Number one is the legality side of it, like protection. You're separating your business from your personal. Okay. And, and that's that's just a huge thing. And as a side note, I'm gonna go on a small tangent because I can't emphasize this enough. Please do. When When you are an entrepreneur or when you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, the best thing you can do for yourself is separate your business and your personal. Even if you don't go run out and get incorporated with an S Corp or an LLC, go down to your bank and ask them, can I have a second checking account? And make that checking account your business checking account. You don't even have to open a business checking account if you're like if you're just getting started in real estate or like you're going to do an MLM or some kind of entrepreneurial sales that's like highly commissioned, Just start a second checking account and use one credit card for that side of things, and use a, all your other credit cards or one other credit card for the personal side. Um, that's like step one of what I just talked about, which is separating your business and your personal, even though it might just be you. You have the business you and the personal you, and when you become incorporated, one of the the other benefit is the financial gain, right? Um, if you make a hundred thousand dollars when you go to pay taxes, besides income tax, and again, this is something a lot of entrepreneurs don't know about, they call they they pay something called self-employment tax. Now that's not the real name for it. The real name for it is fiCA tax. it's 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 the employment tax that if you are working at Walmart the employer would pay seven and a half percent roughly, and you would pay seven and a half percent roughly. Now, when you become an independent contractor or 1099, you pay both sides of that. And that's why they call the self-employment tax roughly 15%. It's really, I think it's like 15.2, something like that, 15.3. But either way, in addition to income tax, you're also paying that payroll tax. So when you become incorporated, you pay yourself as an employee, but you're not paying yourself the full 100K as an employee. Most of the time, you're paying yourself as an employee roughly half that. So you're still paying that 15%. You're paying the 15% on the 50K. But then the other 50K, which is called your owner's distribution, you pay zero FICO tax on that. So essentially, what you're doing is you're saving 15% on half of your income by becoming incorporated. Now, some of you just dropped what you were doing, and you tried to figure out, how do I get incorporated? because you heard what I just said, is how do I save 15% on half my income and I get incorporated to do it? That's what I want to do. I will just put a really small disclaimer. Check to see how much it costs to become incorporated, because Anthony, you and I both know that in the state of California, whether your company makes a dollar or a million dollars, it costs $800 just to have a corporation every single year. In addition, we have to file two separate pieces of tax information. We have to file a K-1, right? For our business. Mm -hmm. So that's another fee that we're going to have to pay that's associated with our business. And the other big fee that a lot of people overlook is the payroll fee. So I use a company called Gusto to run my own payroll. Gusto, I can't recommend them enough. I'm not paid by them. We have all our clients that run payroll. They use that because Gusto is amazing, but it costs me 50 bucks a month. So that's another fee. So the three big fees associated with being incorporated are whatever your state's filing fee is, however much it costs to run payroll and the extra cost of filing a second tax return. So, we usually say hey, it's like at 100 grand. 100 grand is usually a good
0: point. I think there's so much value there and if you have to you should press rewind and listen to that again, right? If you're at 1099 and you're above that 100 grand mark, there is so much value in benefiting. And one of the things that you that um, you didn't talk about, right? Is or you kind of alluded to it, but that protection with that corporation right once you truly have a separation from your finances your business there's a corporate veil that protects your corporation from your personal life I'm not an attorney but I do know when I set up Anthony Garcia Inc there was a lot of what you just said was came to mind uh, and was definitely uh, increased my overall business acumen and financial acumen because I did separate personal, and business expenses. And I wish I would have learned how to do that much earlier in life. And, and you know, it, it you know, if you can only go back to talk to a 15-year version, 15-year younger version of ourselves, we'd be great, but you can't. So now <laughs> so now it's me telling you. So all right, so your 1099 uh, clients are like, hey, let me get you set up, let's get incorporated. How do you provide them a value? Let's say I come on and I want to hire my books pro to help with Anthony Garcia Inc. What is that? What does our engagement look like? You know, can you maybe explain a little bit about the P and L's and what we go through? And then how does that, you know, where, where do I get my money back or where do I get my value from, from bringing my books pro into my, onto my team?
1: Absolutely. This is uh, I, I appreciate the layup question. Um, so, uh, First off, on the absolute surface level, what our company does is we we keep the books. We're we're a bookkeeper. If you want to describe us in one word, it's bookkeeping. So what we do is we use the gold standard in QuickBooks or in uh, accounting software, which is QuickBooks Online, and we track every single dollar, every actually every single penny that comes in and out of your bank accounts and or credit cards used for the business. What this does is it allows us to generate a profit and loss statement. Now, if you're using an accountant right now and they say, hey, we provide bookkeeping services too, that's that's accurate. Most accountants do. What makes us a little bit different is we're going to ask you, hey, what is it important that you see on this PL? When we send you this profit and loss report every single month, what do you need to make sure you are seeing on there so that you can comprehend it? So we'll break down categories like we talked about. Hey, how, like an in internet service is Google web hosting, right? We just talked about, that's one way our client found out that they were overspending on Google every single month. They were paying them for 18 unused email accounts. They saw that because they looked at their P&L and said, "Why is my Google expense so high?" And that's what we do. We're going to take every single income and every single expense and we're going to put it into a profit loss statement and we're going to categorize it to the way that you get a report every month rather than trying to figure out what the heck your business is spending. So, when we send you a report, you can look at this is how much revenue we brought in. We brought in $50,000 in revenue, and our net profit was $6,000. Why was it $6,000? And you can see the breakdown of all $44,000 in expenses. So we send out reports monthly, we send them out quarterly, and we send them out yearly. The big thing, in ter- you asked, how do we save people money? Well, if their accountants were charging them thousands of dollars before, I hope on everything that is valuable that they're not anymore when they start using our services. Because when they use our service, we take all of the dirty work out of that accountant's tax preparation. When you, when you hand a tax accountant a finished profit and loss statement with your balances all reconciled, they go, great, you just changed my workload from 15 hours to 15 minutes on your account. They are just plugging and playing numbers from the profit and loss statement onto your your tax filing. So that's, that's the big saving in money on the accountant side. The other thing is realizing where you're spending money.
0: I think that there in its own is so valuable because I know for myself, Uh, you know, opening QuickBooks and going through it, right? There's a million things as sales professionals that we focus on, right? You want to drive revenue. If you're a sales leader, you're trying to manage a team. If you're a sales entrepreneur, you're trying to figure out how can I ensure that my revenue is consistently coming in? And that idea of sitting down, managing my books, looking at my books, um, you know, I, I consider a a my MyBooks Pro, kind of like your financial coach for the business. And I definitely think that Robert and his team can deliver that. Now, Robert, do you, you mentioned you're in Sacramento. Do you only work with clients locally or do you work with, where, where do you, how do you work with clients? What, is that, what does that look like? Does someone
1: have to be in the Sacramento area or are you national, international? Give us the goods. We are, we are national. So anywhere in the United States, because again, we work with people who are filing US taxes. Um, so anywhere in the United States, uh, we are based in Sacramento. All of our account reps work out of Sacramento, but we work with clients all over the place—Washington, up down the coast to San Diego, and all the way east as far as the East Coast, Virginia, Florida, Maine, Massachusetts—all those all those fun places. A lot of people in Austin. Apparently, all our friends are moving to Austin. But you know. Everything- Everything's better in Texas, they say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we work with people everywhere. Um, the main reason why is because we use QuickBooks online. So all of our clients also have a, their own username. They can log in at any time and they can view their most current PL. and um, Our account reps work on accounts weekly. So they're, they're kept up to date on a weekly basis
0: good good that is uh that is good to hear because there is so much value in that that virtual bookkeeping that virtual uh, ability to work remotely with somebody and right now with covid going on we are dating this show we're in, during the covid pandemic everyone's working from home you're used to working from home I mean it's uh you know you kind of you kind of have that that luxury of 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 you know having that ability to take work home so if you are in that group, of you're a 1099 and you're making a good amount of money. Maybe you're a 1099 and you haven't hit that six-figure mark and, and you want to learn something. I think Robert and his team can definitely help guide you. Or you have some sort of business that you are in a position where you want to take a better look at your numbers because the only way to catapult your commissions is two ways from what we learned today. One, sell more, and I can definitely help you and drive you to do that. Two, which in my opinion is probably the more fun part or the more impactful part, spend less. And Robert and his team at MyBooks Pro can help you do that. Now, Robert, if somebody wants to get connected with you, how does someone get in contact with you at MyBooks Pro? How does someone find who you are? Uh, What are the links that I'm going to share on the show notes today?
1: Yeah, so uh, for anyone in... uh the catapulting commissions audience we are doing a special where the first step to working with us is we have a strategy session and essentially what that strategy session is is we figure out where you're at right now where you want to be and how we can help or if we can help and there's been plenty of times where we say hey your business is too big you need a full-time accountant um you know if that's what comes out of it then you know you have a bigger expense to to look into but um for the Catapulting Commission's audience, we're going to waive what we usually charge for a strategy session. It's usually 197 bucks, And uh, they can book a, a directly into my calendar at uh, calendly.com slash pro. You can also get more information on our website, which is mybooks.pro. So instead of .com, it's .pro, mybooks.pro. Um, I'm on social media at askrogo ask R O G O and that's uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, if you want to check us out, I think that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Robert, thank you for giving that value. $197 for free. You heard that there catapulting commissions team It is it is a no brainer. You're working from home right now. You're probably not out and about get on a call with Robert, see how he can take a look, at your books, and maybe not even have to show me your books. Just tell him the situation you're in. Find out ways on how he can be of service to you. Because if your finances aren't in order, you can be the best salesperson in the world. And at the end of the day, running out of money is going to kill your business. So, to prevent you from doing that, get with Robert and his team at MyBooksPro. Robert, thank you for joining the Catapulting Commissions uh, podcast today. I'm excited to have you on the show, and uh, I look forward to bringing you down the road, and we'll uh, we'll touch base again,
1: bud. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Anthony. Anytime. Well, that does it for today's
0: episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show. And share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best selling book to one person who tags me at AnthonyPGarcia99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions.